Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton. Sober since 2015. Heidi Anderson was a housemate on Australian Big Brother back in the day, and then she landed herself a sweet radio gig. But despite killing it in media and living her best life on air in Perth, inside, Heidi was an anxious wreck and drinking way too much booze. Now a self-proclaimed PR queen, Heidi is healthier, happier, and her most wholesome self, mum to Memphis, wifey to Griffo and a business hustle on her hands. We caught up to talk about sobriety, but we also had a very long overdue gas bag about radio life and ex-co-hosts as well. This chat is a lot, as are Heidi and I. And if you're sober curious, you'll find this really helpful. And if you're a radio nerd, you'll absolutely love the Juicy Goss. Enjoy Last Drinks with Heidi Anderson. I'm going to hit record. Heidi Anderson, what a joy. This is like Radio Gals Reunited. I know, for last drinks. Oh, my gosh. But we never even got to drink together, I think, in our radio times. You're probably one of the only people in the industry that I didn't have a drink with. (laughs) I think we had a dart together when we were both smokers here in Perth and you were over here doing a comedy show with Dan, your co-host. I'm pretty sure we had a dart together. (laughs) Was it at the Perth Fringe Festival? Yes. Yes. That was my last year drinking, 2014. And I remember we'd gone over to Perth Fringe because Dan's like comedy sketch group were doing Perth Fringe. Yeah. But then I had to, so then we went to his concert, not concert, what's it called? Like the show, show, (laughs) the sketch show, hilarious. Um, The Lords of Luxury it was called. Yes. And it, and they were so funny. And then afterwards we're at Perth Fringe and I ran into an old mate of mine, Don, Johnny Flash, who I hadn't seen since he'd come out. So there was so much to debrief. Had a durry with you. Yeah, and yeah. then I had to get the red eye flight back to Sydney to interview Robbie Williams the <gasps> next morning. Like what was my life? Oh, my God. I had a very similar experience with Robbie Williams. I did the, I was drinking, smoking darts the night before and then flew the red eye to interview Robbie Williams too. But that would have been like two years apart. So how oh, random. <laughs> that's what you did though in radio, wasn't it? And it was, I think that's why, like for me, when I had that lack of confidence, that's why I relied on a glass of red wine because I, it instantly took the self-doubt away in the totally. day. So, Yeah. Well, so let's start with your last drink. When did you have your last drink, Heidi? So I think like obviously I don't include being pregnant that sobriety time, although like I did get a lot of clarity, but I had also like feeling like I had a hangover the whole time with, you know, all day sickness. But oh, I did, did you my... get the really bad morning sickness? 
so I never vomited, but it was seriously like a hangover 24-7 for Yuck. 17 weeks straight, doing breakfast Yuck. radio. Yeah. Yeah, it was horrific. Yeah. You don't want to have another kid anytime soon, Maz, whilst you're on the airwaves. <laughs> Thanks you- for the motherly, friendly advice. No, 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 no. You'll be fine. Um, but so I did I did a sobriety, um, I think it was almost six months. I think it was f- or five months. And I was 2017 or 2016 working in breakfast radio. I'd spoken openly about my anxiety in 2016. And then it was after that, that I kind of, I guess, had what I would call a bit of an awakening where I started to see things from a different kind of, you know, conscious place that I'd never really, you know, I'd just been so programmed to just be the way that I had. And I started asking more questions and then I don't know, I started getting really sick actually. And I had gastritis because when I was working with my co-host, Will and Woody, who, you know, they were quite new to, um, to Perth and to the radio airwaves and they were, new to leaving home, they were partying like crazy, crazy town. And I was in this job going like, Hey, I'm 30. Like I'm ready to settle down. I want to, you know, make a career out of this. Whereas they were like, we're just here to have fun and fuck shit up. And just, you know, like exactly how I was at their age, but I was in London doing it. And so I, on the radio airwaves just started to really doubt myself. And I always felt like a, a bit of an outsider. And so I used to drink a lot. And I think that helped with my anxiety in the afternoons when I would feel like I'd, you know, put myself out there and, oh, should I have said this? Shouldn't I have said that? And then it was just this vicious spiral. And I started getting sick. I started getting gastritis and gastritis is so painful. It doesn't sound fun. No. And I, and I started to hear this voice in my head saying, I think you need to take a break. I think you need to take a break. But I wasn't listening. I was drowning that little voice out, which was obviously my intuition, my inner guidance. And I started just having conversations with people. And then it just kept coming up that people were taking time off alcohol. And it just, it just, I just started to see it everywhere. And then I ended up interviewing Beck Sweller, who you've had on this podcast, who's a Perth girl. And someone had handed me her book. She's incredible. Yeah, she's so beautiful. And she came in and I interviewed her when I was probably sitting in some of my darkest hours. I rem- I look back at photos and I was so puffy in the face from all of the drinking, smoking, not looking after myself, the stress, uh, you know, on, on breakfast radio ratings, all that kind of shit was all I could see it in my body. And I remember having a conversation with her on my podcast and everything she said, I was like, that's me, that's me, that's me. <laughs> and then it was the Christmas time a couple of months after her like a chat with her. And then I got really sick at home in my mum and dad's after drinking for like three or four days, you know, it was Christmas time and that gastritis, I was in the bar on the bathroom floor, like crippled in pain at two o'clock in the morning, diarrhea, the voms and just that internal pain. And I was like, Hides, you need to make a change. You've got a big year coming up. I knew that, um, I was getting married. I think Will and Woody had like, it started to feel like they were kind of exiting, you know what I mean? But they hadn't announced it yet and they were still there but like it felt like big stuff was going to happen in my career and I was like I need to have clarity for all this shit and I need to you know look after my health because when I was 21 I had my gallbladder out and I had to actually give up drinking when I was 21 for nine months and uh, that was a lot of like 
I was going back to that, like PTSD of like the time and the pain that I had of that. And so then I just decided I got home after Christmas and I signed up to Bex Weller's, um, her actual program, her 90 day program. And then I just kept going because it felt so good. But for me, the thing that I wrote about in my book, the big moment that I realized is I'm an extremist. So, well, you know, I don't like to associate myself like that now. I experience extreme at times in my life. And so can you tell I'm working on my power of language? That's Um, really good. That's good to know about yourself. Yeah. So I, I realized that I was like, I'm all or nothing. So I'm either not drinking or I'm fucking getting blind drunk and not remembering anything. So I was like, actually, the biggest thing for me is going to be the challenge is going to be finding a balance. And so after four and a half months, that became my journey. And I have not been blackout drunk since then. I know when to stop. I know when to, if I want to drink more water, I like, yeah, I'll just have two today, but I don't drink every day. I, you know, it's for special occasions or if I'm out with hubby or for on holidays or whatever, I give myself that permission, but I genuinely have the willpower to know when to put it down. Well, and I think it's because it sounds like you figured out your relationship with alcohol, which ironically is a lot to do with your relationship with yourself. And I think like when you start to unpack that deep self-worth piece that as women in media, we absolutely do not get mentored on. When you start to figure that out about yourself, then you realize, okay, actually I'm self-medicating pain. Yes. Um, and I'm using alcohol to do that because alcohol is accessible and it's a, it's a socially acceptable drug to use to numb pain. And then it's highly addictive. So, and it, you know, it can cause blackout drunkness feels like an anxiety suppressant at times, but it's actually the opposite. Like there's all these things, right? But it really does come down to relationships. So if you are in this place, Heidi, where I know that your self-worth is on point, like I've seen your story and I, I know, I, I just know that you love yourself more than you ever, ever have. And, and whether, you know, having a, a kid is a part of that for a lot of women where it's like we don't drink for nine months because we're going to give birth to this other human that's so important, but we don't give ourselves the same self-love and self-worth of like, what about just taking care of me, like even though I'm not about to have a baby? But yeah. when you see this little version of yourself look back at you and you, it feels like your heart dancing on the outside of your body, all of a sudden like shit just changes and all of a sudden you want to show up and be your best for that little person. And so – a part of that, I think, is realizing that little person was once us. And oh. so it's okay to show up and be the best for us as well. And that's not selfish. No. And I think the one thing that I really love to talk about as well with, because people think, oh, do you have to have that moment of having a child to have this breakthrough? And I was like, he was part of my breakthrough, 100% in loving my body but you don't have to have a child to have this. And, you know, I've been delving so much into, like you said, the all the self-work and um, understanding myself and so much of it comes down to choice. And, you know, I had a choice when I was in London when I decided to drink again, which was quite ironic because when I lived in London, I was like popping pills and, you know, snorting lines of cocaine and, you know, knocking back 10 pints of cider, then going to work the next day. And so when I wow. decided to actually have drinks for the first time, with friends when I, you know, had 
was over there for the wedding, the wedding of the century, <laughs> Meghan Markle and Prince Harry for radio work, I decided to have those drinks. That was all by choice. And it was how my, and I really monitored how my brain was in that mm. moment and what I was thinking, what I was feeling. And just after two glasses of red wine, that was intense. Yeah. Like the brain was going nuts, like all my inner mean girls, all the things that they were saying and, you know, the anxiety. And then even the next day I was crippled with anxiety just after two drinks. And I was like, okay, this is the stuff that I'm going to work through because I, I I got curious. And I think that's the biggest thing with, you know, all the breakthroughs and stuff that I've had is I've just been curious. Like, why is this happening? You know, after I've hit rock bottom, obviously, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I've asked these questions. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really important. Like you said, we don't have to have the have baby to have these breakthroughs. Like we can actually have them just by asking ourselves better questions. And yeah, or asking yourself any questions because I think yeah, sometimes any. what we do is we just drink instead of talking to ourselves and then because alcohol affects your neural pathways and your brain function and it just wreaks havoc in your body, then you're just not in a position like the only question you ask yourself the next morning is like, why did I do that? <laughs> oh in, instead God. of a deeper level of questioning, which is like, how am I feeling? Am I showing up for myself? You know, do do I love this version of me? And so I think, like, and this is why I don't, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not here to judge and go, but you're not sober. So, like, you know, it's like this is your story, your life, yeah. your journey, your self-worth, and w- from where you've been to where you are now is it's like some small miracle, I think, for some people yeah. to even yeah. get through to, like, today. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah with all of the stuff that you've overcome, faced and dealt with. And if you can moderate successfully and be comfortable in that space, that's okay too. Because I think there are some people like I've, you know, a few people that I've spoken to on this podcast and I'm in this category where like alcohol is just not an option for me. Mm. It, and I wouldn't even dabble with moderation because yeah. I just know it is catastrophic. Yeah. It is just yeah. not my thing. And I know that moderation doesn't work for me, but I know that about myself. And so I'm aware enough to just go, it's an absolute hell no from me probably till the end of time, right? Yeah. And I know there are a lot of people that sit in that space and I think it's easier in a way to be definitively like, no, it's a 100% no, never, not ever. Mm. Whereas you're in this situation where you've like had this sobriety experience, which I know changed so many things for you and you're still exploring what that looks like. And that's okay too, because no one has to have it all figured out forever. It's like, it's all just this, I call it the progressive revelation of sobriety. It's like we, over time, more stuff is revealed and it's like, then you get your little aha and your paradigm shift and your maybe I'll try this, maybe I'll work it that way. or And then eventually you get to a place where you're okay and you don't have to explain that to everyone all the time. 
Yes. Oh my God. It's the questioning that people ask when you don't drink, right? Like, cause I'll still have nights where I'll drive or I'll go down South with friends and I won't necessarily drink anymore. Or like the other night, Griffo and I celebrated my book being in bookstores and we had a bottle of zero free sparkles, you know, like, so love that. We, well, he's now dabbling in the time off alcohol and really cutting back because it's been a massive addiction for him as, you know, as your typical Aussie tradie, bogan like you know that's what his mates do that's how they party together and so I've been kind of I guess mentoring him in a way like obviously not like his mentor but you know he's just seeing what I've been doing and um yeah he he's decided that he wants to dabble a little bit more into that and yeah it's 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 the conversations that you have with people sometimes that's like I think a girl asked me if I was an alcoholic when I took time off alcohol and I'm like, what kind of question is that? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I've had that one too. And But do you know what I said? Hi, it's because I, I do remember somebody saying like, so why did you stop drinking? Like, were you an alcoholic? And I was like, no, I Googled it and I'm actually not because <laughs> I did. Like, because I was drinking, but like not to the point where it was hurting anyone. I was still able to go to my job and do all the things that we talked about earlier. I was still able to do all of that. I was just so, so sad and lonely. Yeah. And it was like I wasn't an alcoholic, but I didn't know how to function without alcohol. So what does that mean? And so in a way, like I couldn't find an appropriate label. Now I know it's called alcohol use disorder. That's what we call it now. And this was eight years ago, right? So eight years ago, it's like I'm drinking too much. AA are the, is the only option. There's no sober curiosity. There's no Hello Sunday morning. There's yeah. no Bex Weller. Like there's nothing. It's just this vacuum of silence and just you sitting in all of the vulnerability and and it was just so full on. To And so I think like early on that's why – people would be like, whoa, like what happened? Yeah. Yeah. And it was more about I knew where it was heading and I didn't want to find out what was going to happen. So I stopped and I pulled up stumps and I went, I know what my life looks like if I drink every day. We've been doing that for a long time now. And it's okay, but I reckon there's more. And so to quote my mother, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So I had to change something. And the only thing I could think of was changing my relationship with alcohol for a bit just to see what was on the other side of it. And and what was on the other side of it was just so damn enticing and exciting and mm. and so life-changing that I just kept going down that way to see where that would land me. Do you know what I mean? Oh, my God, girl, your book was one of the things that one of the things that I read over that Christmas when I started to like – get all curious and, you know, felt like there was that inner voice telling me to take that time. Your book was one of the ones that I read and that was like, fuck, oh my God, this is a mirror, shit. And I just <laughs> I remember know. thinking, because I know, I kind of feel too like, oh, there definitely will be a time where I will give it up forever. Like I, and even hubby who is, that doesn't even cross his mind now, but he says stuff like that because I think his inner knowing 
says that as well. Um, so I just think that now it's just this time, like, you know, there are times that I just do want to go to a winery, like, and I genuinely love just having a few wines at the winery, you know, but I was that girl who walked into a party back in the day, I was shotting vodka and everything because I was yes. so fucking, although I'm like big, bold personality, I was tiny inside like I was like so scared and anxious and so I'd come in being like shots yeah wow and then you know oh okay I'm I've arrived I've had like five drinks I'm cool like I'm calm I'm collected you know and so I've I'm not that anymore if I'm feeling that beforehand I'll do a meditation now you know like that's what I'll do yeah wow I'll do on the way there yeah 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 exactly like or I'll just have like five minutes where I'll go outside and just like you know ground myself look you know I use all the tools now instead of alcohol and so that's why I think I'm able to have that relationship with alcohol but like I said never say never like when I hear other people's stories like you it does it gets me like oh maybe I could do it forever but I also didn't want to ever say I'll never do it again you know what I mean yeah well I've never said I'll never do it again but I'll probably never do it again do you know but like when I stopped it was just for a month yeah and then I was like oh this is cool let's keep you know my birthday's in March I'm like let's get to my birthday and then I got through my birthday and I was like oh let's get to the middle of the year and then I was like, I'm going to do a year. And, you know, I just, I've never really like definitively said like never, ever, ever, ever. But I just know within myself it's a no. Do you know what I mean? And And so that's why I I probably don't need to say it because I just have that, it's the inner knowing thing. Mm. Do you know what I find really interesting, Heidi, is the gastro, what's it called? Oh, the gastritis, yeah. So gastritis, right, sounds horrific. We talk about our gut feeling mm. and, like, we talk about, you know, like your inner GPS, like you have a gut reading on something. Yes. Or follow your gut, go with your gut. And it's like your gut was literally saying, I'm sick. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Isn't that God. insane? Yeah. And, it, like, it's so crazy because the same thing happened when I got my gallbladder out. Like, the the years before, which I always forget that that was the start of my sobriety journey. Actually, I was told to never, ever drink again. That's what my doctors told me. And then I did nine months at like 2021 in my prime of partying at Charles Sturt Uni in Bathurst where I grew up. And I mean, I obviously found other things to, to do instead, but so I didn't have that, like, you know, all these aha moments and clarity and all this stuff. Yeah, but right. When I went back to the doctor, they were like, wow, you healed. Like, you know, people don't do that from, because I had pancreatitis and my gallbladder out, which was really horrific at 2021. 20, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I was at uni and they were like, never, ever should you drink again. And then I did the whole nine months. And when I went back, they were like, wow, if you're a 50 year old man, which this is an old man's you know, getting pancreatitis, an old drinking man's disease, you know, which is so painful. They reckon it's worse than childbirth. Yeah, it was so horrific. No, thanks. Uh, They were like, yeah, you've done really well. And so I was kind of like, oh, there's my permission slip to go. Isn't it funny how our brains work? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I'm good to go now. Someone's given me permission. The doctor, he knows everything. (laughs) Healed myself. Um, The other thing that I love talking about is how, because you kind of touched on it with your husband too, I think the universe talks to us in whispers. Oprah is hot on this. Yes. And she's like, you know, there's this like little tiny thing, like mm. a little tiny, tiny thing. And then like we just carry on and just ignore it and then it becomes like a little bit of a bigger thing. Yeah. And then we just go, ah, oh, nah, pass it off, whatever, like not a big deal, don't care, and we carry on. And then 
She's like, if you keep ignoring the whispers of the universe, at some point, the goddamn wall comes crashing down around you. Yeah. And then it might get your attention. But I, I often find too, like, rock bottom to me isn't a destination. It, it's like the reverse of the progressive revelation. Because <laughs> you can feel like you're at a rock bottom and then the bottom falls out from rock bottom and you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And, to you know, to bring it back to, like, if you have this unction, if you have this curiosity, if you are having thoughts of, like, maybe I do drink a bit too much. Maybe I haven't not drunk for a weekend in a bunch of time let's see what's on the other side of a sober weekend and like engage with that voice in the universe and see what it has to offer because I can guarantee it's a good thing oh I so agree and I think this is a perfect time for people to also like grab a journal or whatever like I was never really into journal but I'm slowly getting into it but just write it down in your notes in your phone or whatever but like what are the voices in your head saying like and this has been really interesting watching hubby on Fridays because he's done really well in the week but he's getting to Fridays and you can see he's angry he's tense he doesn't know what to do with himself he's getting pissed off he's like why the fuck am I doing this you know this coaching and rah rah and it was this we're on the fifth or sixth Friday night and he has been able to have a couple of drinks but he's just like that regular you know oh, I'm drinking like three or four times a week, having 10 beers on a Friday night kind of thing. And it was interesting, last Friday was the first time because I spoke to him about the Friday before and I was like, this is the pattern. Have you noticed it? Have you seen those thoughts? What is coming up for you? And then I said, maybe we could literally just break the state because you've been in a pattern for five weeks. I'm like, let's go for a bushwalk. Why don't we go watch the sunset, take Memphis to the beach? Or even we could go to the club, which is just down the road. That's got this beautiful playground and view. And I said, let's go down there and I can have a drink because I'm always the one that's bloody drove in the past. And (laughs) and I said, and you can and see what it feels like to actually go buy a lemon, lime and bitters. And we did it. He was like, okay, I'm ready. And this Friday, he was a different person, but it took those, you know, Mm. he took a couple of sober weekends, getting really frustrated, angry. That was what was coming up for him because he wants to get to a place where the alcohol doesn't control him, where he has control. And I think that's where a lot of people, what, why we choose to give up or why we start asking the questions of, because we're like, alcohol is controlling us. And it was really epic to see. And I said, this is where you got to write down the thoughts that you have as well when you don't have the alcohol and like when you how you feel in the morning and all that kind of stuff and that's how I really got to know me and you know and became so self-aware and I realized for so long that my confidence was coming from alcohol you know which is crazy to think that like you know but it was because I'm like you know and and watching him as well and like my dad like they're very similar you know, I think it just relaxes, you know, relaxes them as soon as they have a few to into easy conversation into like, you know, we, the world that we live in is not designed for us to be with our families. Like it's, you know, working really fucking long hours, a lot of stress, phone addictions and all that kind of stuff. And so you see these, like, especially Griffo, like I can see why he wants to drink by the end of the week. You know what I mean? And so it's introducing new things for him and, yeah, and also like really helping him connect with our son in a different way, I think, which has been really beautiful. Yeah, and I think we just don't get given, like we don't get offered the variety of tools for the toolkit. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, especially I'm just from personal experience, it was like 15 years old 
you go to the musical after party and it's the first time you get blind. And then you just get blind like all the time at school and you hide it from your parents and sometimes they find out and then Suzanne ended up in emergency so at least it's not as bad as Suzanne, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. So we, that's the introduction and then you get into the workplace and you are a fish out of water in brand new environments, learning in a steep learning curve with real life consequences for real life decisions. So you drink. Yeah, and then yeah. it's how we meet people, it's how we engage, it's how we date, it's what we do. Like, so no wonder mm. we get to like looking down the barrel of midlife and we we don't know how to function or operate without drinking. And it would, that in itself is a frustrating realisation. Like, shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to do this behaviour anymore, but I don't know any other way to exist. And it is just hard. It's really hard to break a habit. It's really hard to go out with your friends and not drink alcohol when everyone's drinking alcohol at first. Oh my God. So awkward. And, but also they're so annoying. Like you have to be drunk (laughs) to put on with them. Like, this is what I found. I was like, fuck, these conversations are so boring, really tough. (laughs) So boring. So surface. Uh, I was going to say my dad's just given up alcohol and he's 69. He's given, we're going away for his 70th and he's given up alcohol. It's been nearly a year and he was very much what you'd class as your typical kind of beers, red wine every day, stress reliever. What was his motive? Um, so his motive has been him and mum's relationship. And wow. yeah, and like, you know, hitting retirement, but also, but the a reason why I brought that up is the confidence thing for him because his whole entire life, he's got his confidence from drinking alcohol and, you know, it was his stress reliever as well. So he thought, um, and then, yeah, now he's just getting to the other side. Like the first few months he was actually really uncomfortable going out for dinner with friends that he's been friends with for 50, 60 years, but he was uncomfortable because he didn't know himself without alcohol and he did it for health reasons and mum and mum and dad's relationship because his anger comes out. He's got a lot of trauma that he, you know, and this is another thing I've been delving into and stuff in all the work that I've been doing. His trauma is, you know, his mum took her own life when he was two years old. Oh, which, my God. And so that's 67 years ago and he still cries about that today. I bet he does. That's so, so big. And so I think that's all he ever, do you know what I mean? Like that's how he just dealt with it. But he gets angry when he drinks. And so we were always on like if he got blind, he was like a different person. And, yeah, I think it finally took him, it was actually Memphis, my little boy as well, that he went, I don't want to be like this around him. I don't want to, you know, I want to be the grandfather that he deserves and I want to be around for him. So, yeah, he's been on his his journey around me as well. And like I said, so much of it was confidence from the bottle. Yeah, it's so, it's really weird because when you stop drinking, like it is, it is hard definitely at first. Like I remember that first few weeks, I was just like, oh God, I really just want to drink because it's yeah. just yeah. what I do and what I know. And it's, it's like my favorite jumper, you know, like it just feels comfortable. And yes. But you do get to a point where you realize that alcohol actually robs you of so much and so much more than what it offers. And I really, truly believe that sobriety gives you everything that alcohol promises you. And so alcohol promises you all this stuff and it's all bullshit. And sobriety actually has it 
as a tangible benefit when you really lean into it. And so I I totally get the confidence thing. And me, believe it or not, Heidi, I am an introvert. Same girl, same. Like it's isn't it crazy? We like, have these what big the conversations. Hell? Yeah, that's why we drank in social situations. Right. Yeah. Couldn't deal with I'm an extroverted introvert in just the sense that I prefer to be at home by myself and I need yeah. space to rejuvenate. And if you're in my space, it can really piss me off. Yes. Um but <laughs> when I have I that <laughs> when I have that, I'm great. And I can show up and be awesome and perform because what I do is perform and that's all good. And so when I realized that about myself, I was like, oh, that's why I would need to pregame with sub-zeros before I went out because the anxiety of socially engaging in small talk was really cra- – and then that was just when I was in like my 20s. Then I get into the media industry and it's like – show up to this sales event, go to the opening of this, be here, host that, you know, and and all of a sudden you're in these rooms and you're the centre of attention. There's all this expectation that you are this like bubbly, hilarious person on the air and I'm like, yeah, that's who I am on the air. But like I need to go home and get some rest and have a lay down and wear my pyjamas for 12 hours straight in order to do those things. But the expectation was that what I did was who I was. So, of course, you drink because then you can become that. You can become anything. But, again, it's a lie because what I realize now is that I can become anything because I just consciously choose to become whatever it is I want to be and I'm present with those thoughts and feelings. Mm, I love that so much. Like I relate to so much of what you said. And like I said, reading your book, I felt seen. Everything that you do, you talk about, like even, you know, just before we were speaking about you doing radio now and it's how you want to do radio and you get to be the Maz that you've created who is, you know, who is your authentic self. And it's so inspiring for me because I feel that. Like I remember when I got to Perth and I was doing breakfast radio here, I was like, I don't want to be on red carpets at nighttime. And I remember Todd Campbell, my boss, like, yeah, we've got to get out there, team, and this and that. But I chose. Ah, Toddy. Oh, my God. You've got to get. I mean, he's definitely. I think he's had some time off the alcohol here and there, but he is bloody crazy, that man. My Oh, pussycat. Oh, pussycat. He's like, I mean, he's definitely the kind of guy that people would think he was inappropriate, but when you get to know him. Oh, he's he's hilarious. Well, he was like my very first one of my favorite bosses like I always feel like I owe him so much I love him he saw so many things in me that I didn't see in myself and gave me self-belief and when he left that was kind of when I got rocky at Mm. Perth um but I remember when I got here I was like I don't want to do that so I chose to do things differently and that's how I built my profile in Perth like I started doing workshops with the women that were listening to our radio show and you know started doing like anxiety workshops and self-love workshops and that's how I built my profile I wrote about this stuff instead of having to go to fucking bullshit red carpet events where you get photographed you talk absolute smack have a glass of champagne and then you go home like I chose to to do it differently and that's what I am so grateful that I did that because 
it, it, it's helped me on my journey of like discovery and self-worth. And yeah, I didn't want to go down that. <laughs> and that's why I always thought if I was to ever get another radio job, I'm like, I will not be walking red carpets, motherfuckers. <laughs> God bless COVID-19. COVID really just, I mean, it changed the world forever. But from somebody who's a little bit socially anxious, I was just like, great, like everything's closed. Awesome. Like I, there's no, and I wasn't working in radio at the time. Like I was just, um, I was at home with Henry for like his first birthday was like the day the world shut down. 23rd of March, 2020 was his first birthday. So I just did COVID as a stay at home mum with a kid that wasn't even like he wasn't even walking, so I couldn't even go to a park. So it was kind of like, it was kind of a blessing for me to be able to navigate through that and not have to really adjust my life too heavily. And then when I got back into radio, like we still went through another lockdown while oh. I was on air, but we, because we were essential, apparently we could come into the studio, but only us and no in-guest in-studio interviews. Like there's, it's so different now, Heights. Like there's no events really. So and if there are, it. there's no expectation. There's like, if I say I just want to be at home with my family, no one is arguing with me. But in 2015 when I was doing Sydney Brekkie, different story. And like a Metro Market, a big deal radio gig, so much pressure, too many managers, mm. so many micro adjustments. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, too many stupid competitions. I It was a different thing but I think now it really like it's changed it so much that and I'm grateful for that because I don't even have to like defend my decision I don't even have to be like but this is why I need to do these things for my mental health and Mm. for me to show up and to do the great job that I do I don't even have to explain it it's like I just get to do it Oh, I think there's so many things that like is sounds so positive about it because I left just before COVID-19, you know, happened and I Memphis was a few weeks old, but I actually pitched to our big boss at the time to get coaches in to help with teams and because of all the management and everything that was going on and I was like, haven't you watched Billions where they like get coached to be the best that they can be and like integrate their relationships? And they thought it was such a bad idea and I'm like, this is the future with like breakfast radio shows because we have such different personalities a lot of the time and they want polar opposites to bring out that, you know, I guess, you know, each other's shadows and like, you know, and totally. then your positive sides and, and everything that I was like, oh, this would be amazing. And then I ended up leaving and I was like, damn it, they really need that in radio. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it wouldn't be the first time that a brilliant idea got shut down by a network. It wouldn't be the first. Oh, my God. And this is the thing. I think, you know, bringing it back to alcohol, this is one of the reasons why I think I started to drink so much when I got to Capital City was because of that rejection. Like I had a huge rejection wound that have I've been working through the last couple of years that you know, has obviously been from when I was little, though, zero to, you know, zero to seven uh, rejection is massive. And I constantly felt like my ideas were rejected all the time, especially working with Will and Woods. Like I said, love those guys. We're great mates now. You know, they're a huge part of my mental health journey. And, you know, I always wish them only the best, you know, for where they are and stuff like that. But, you know, I had, oh, fuck, now I forgot my train of thought because I was too You're talking about rejection of ideas. Oh, yeah. But, like, we would sit around and there would be, like, 10 people 
you know, what it's like. 10 people, there's producers, there's the bosses, there's then the sales guys are coming in. And it's like, you would put this idea out there that's impactful in conversation, the shit that I wanted to do. And they'd be like, no, or their faces. And every day I was going home just thinking like I was so just shit like I was just feeling like I was my ideas were shit (laughs) and that's not on you so people have probably heard this term where it's like no idea is a bad idea but can I be really honest there are some terrible ideas okay but yes especially when you work in radio (laughs) but your job as part of a team is to take that terrible idea and make it into something better and then better it again and then better it again and then get it on the air. One thing that I take away from the show that I did with Dan, Dan and I worked together for seven years and we just had this amazing off-air chemistry of like I will back you in no matter how insane it is because I don't want this to fail because this is your creative outlet too. And we had this, we never sat down and had this conversation, but it's just something that like from day dot, we just had each other's back. And so I remember when we were doing the drive show, Dan, oh my God, I don't even know how he came up with this, but he was like, we should get people to call up and, like, pretend to be different types of chairs. (laughs) And I'm in this meeting room with, like, our producers, like Sam Kavanagh, one of the best radio brains in the biz, and I think we all, like, Christian Hull was there. Like, we we all just did these eye dots to each other, and then I think I was like, okay. (laughs) How, How do we... Like how? And then he went in to explain, like, he's like, our listeners will get it. And we did 131060, we want to talk to chairs. And we had a full board of calls and people rang up and this girl's like, yeah, I'm a barstool. And, like, it was just the weirdest, it was the weirdest radio. But it happened on air because I was committed to, and I'm not saying that that was a terrible idea, but it was a very odd idea. Yes. But I, it was my job to make sure that we bedded it and bedded it and got it on the air because that is the commitment that you make. And so if you, like if anyone's working in creative industry listening to this, I think that that's just a great takeaway is like have that attitude. And, you know, if also the other thing, like for you, you know, with Will and Woods, you know, if you want to do the vulnerability piece and it's not their natural place, then trust each other enough to know that you've got it and like lift you up and let you shine in the vulnerability space and let them just peel back the layers and like let you have a moment, you know, and like let let you just do what it is that you want to bring to the airwaves, which I think creates that balance, which is as important as chalk and cheese you know, yes or no. I say yes. He says no. Like yeah. that's that's fun. That's great. 
But, you know, Battle of the Sexes is done and dusted, man. It's not the 90s anymore. So can we just have some real conversations? Exactly. The girl that just ain't here to be your laugh, you know, your laugh friend now. And I think, (laughs) and you still see, like, the the thing that I still see is there's still two guys, one girl. And that to me is like, oh, we're still boxing people in. Still there. People aren't ready for just a bunch of chicks to be on the radio. Yeah, I know. Like, (laughs) shit, oh, my God. Like, what would happen? We all might get a vagina or we all might grow a vulva. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Like, oh. They're contagious, those vaginas. (laughs) Bloody hell. I I wish that I wish that we had we were friends when I was working with Will and Woods because like oh, you know babe. you were in Sydney you had so much going on with yours and we were like we said ships in the night and got to smoke a I dart know. together then both interview Robbie Williams but <laughs> I needed I needed someone like you and so yeah. that's now what my mission is for other women and that's why which I, I love for you because. You know, out of your experience, you get to birth like your purpose and your plan, which is the point, right? Yeah. That's that's so perfect. Out of your experience and what you went through, you can create something amazing for that next generation of women that come through that won't have to, you know, be in those rooms and feel like utter shit and think that they're not talented, even though they're in the room sitting at the same table. Yeah. Oh, and like... The thing is, I still, like, when I left radio, I questioned myself and, like, was I good? And, like, I was a new mom, COVID had hit, like, my anxiety was coming up, you know, and I was on the merry-go-round of self-doubt and I'm still, you know, this is a big thing that I've done the last three years of my healing journey is actually working through, like, hey, I was good. I did have an epic voice on the airwaves and, you know, but I kept searching and that's why I created this multi-six-figure coaching program that I blew up just six months ago because I was like, I didn't create that for me. I created that because I was still searching for fucking validation from other people from the radio industry to see me, to see that I'd done something. And I was like, this isn't me. And so I've been on this, you know, this new recent um, self-discovery. So I think, you know, radio is such a beautiful place. And I worked with so many epic legends and, you know, Will and Woods, like, the thing is with them, like I just pitched recently to go on their radio show for my book because I'm like, yeah, great. Like guys, I'm here. Don't forget about me. But yeah, you know, they did their best in, in that situation, but they were two best friends that were really young. And, you know, we all had these egos that we didn't super understand. And, you know, it was that self-awareness. Had we been put in a show together now, completely different. I think it would be very much like how you feel like you've found, you know, your prince. He's more like a jester, Matt Baisley. Oh, yeah. Oh, jester. Yeah, he's a bit of the joke star that I got from him. But, you know, and I think that if I was to ever walk back through a radio doors, that's the, I want to find that with someone, you know. And, and I think what would happen, because what happened with me, Hides, is like now that I know who I really truly am, I come to the microphone the most genuine, centred, grounded and best version of me. And I think I've attracted it. I really do think that that law of attraction piece, because there's a lot of shit that happened this year that I had zero control over, where at one point I was like, my head's spinning. Like, what is going on? This is insane. Like, my co-host quit the show after six months for no reason. I still don't even know why, but it happened. Well, we can talk about it, but I don't know what to say because I just like. Oh, I no, he didn't talk about it to you? Not in great detail. It was just like 
There was another opportunity. I went for it. I got it. I'm out. And I was like, (laughs) and then I was in this weird holding pattern. But I really, truly feel like I attracted the show that I can only hold space with this particular person. Do you know what I mean? Like I really feel like there's so many reasons why Matt Baisley and I need to be on air together but all of this other stuff had to happen yeah. in order for it to we have landed in this beautiful place and it has been effortless and wonderful and that's very rare in radio and i know so how lucky i am but i also do think that i've done the work and i have i'm performing out of my most genuine space and so I really feel like it's the universe going, okay, babe, well, like you can have the dream show and the dream team then. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll take it. Yeah, I love it. I love that so much. And I totally believe in that. And I know for me, there was when Will and Woods, like were kind of exiting to go over to Kiss, there was these voices in my head that were telling me to quit too. Mm. But I didn't want, I was too afraid. I was the money oh my god yeah it's huge I was addicted to like people knowing who I was which actually still quite like that one thing I've realized about my personality is I do like to be recognized like I actually enjoy it but it's taken me three years to work through this validation shit and to say that and be okay with it yeah I had these whispers and it was when I had Memphis would walk along the beach every single morning and I'd never had mornings for 10 years you know I was always giving myself out to people every single morning and I had these really special mornings and when it started to go like oh you're going back to work you're going back to work this voice just kept saying like you can't you can't go back like you just can't for him and for you Mm. and there was all these things that I was scared of the person who I am today like you know all of these things and when that moment came that I was like I'm not going back it was just like the universe was like thank you we've been waiting and I had all these amazing things thrown at me in the first few months of you know giving birth to Memphis that I was just like wow and like my Mm. book and everything I just so I totally believe that and I also think like had I been given an opportunity in the last three years, I don't think I would have been ready. I needed to Mm. do this work and I don't know if I would ever go back. I don't know. It would have to be like the right opportunity with the right person and I would have to really, really feel into that. I definitely miss it. Like I miss, you know, Mm. especially when I talk to you guys on your radio show, I was like, oh, my God, I miss that. Like just the fun in the morning and like, you know, and I could hear that you two have really beautiful like, chemistry in a relationship and that's something that I always wished that I I got because the last couple of years of radio it wasn't like that you know no but then also like again if you didn't go through all of that stuff you wouldn't have gone through all of the stuff and then you go through all the stuff and look at it like look at what you've created look at what you're curating look at what you stand for and and look and think about what you now know is true when you look in the mirror and all of that is worth it, right? Yeah, and, you know, that's been a massive thing. The validation stuff has been huge for me and I think, you know, you spoke about it as women working in the media. We're not taught our self-worth. We're not taught to really use our voice in a a way that's authentic to us Mm. and me doing this stuff and the work since then has, like, that's where I'm at. Like, I'm not searching for that validation anymore and, you know, when I'm showing up, it's it's for me 
and you know and for and for others to feel less alone like in the stories that I share and yeah I love it so much and I'm really looking forward to interviewing your husband when he quits drinking oh my oh god my well <laughs> it might be a while but it, it, I mean he's definitely on the road to like cutting back and yeah but I mean this podcast is still going to be going in five years right I reckon in the next oh, five knows. years he'll be I've stopped trying to guess what's happening if I don't know what's happening in the next five minutes babe <laughs> yeah me me either <laughs> I think that's definitely one thing that kids brings is this sense of like I have no, I'm not even going to try and make a plan because yeah. the plan's going to go I out the window I didn't even know you had a baby because you're so fucking quiet on like sharing. Here I am like, here, I've had one kid tell you everything all over social media and I didn't even know. So when you said that, I was like, oh, my God, she had a child just before well, so that This is part of me being an introvert, right? Like I don't, I'm not on social media. Yeah. I'm just not. It just doesn't work for me. And, and so I, I, it was before, when did I, like 2017 or something, I just deleted my Instagram. I I went, <laughs> I went to so post radio. I was running a gym, and I went for a run in the morning. And then I was sitting at this amazing headland watching the sunrise. And I was I went to take a photo of the sunrise and put it on Instagram. And then I just had this like, what are you doing? Like no one gives a shit. And by the time I'd gotten back to the house, I had just like. The, the story I was telling myself in my head about why are you robbing yourself of this moment to try and share it with other people who aren't here, just a personal reflection. Yes. I walked in the door. I had this massive spray to my at-the-time boyfriend who's now my husband. I was just like, what are we doing? This is ridiculous. And then I was like, Sandra Bullock's not on Instagram. <laughs> I rattled off all these women celebrities who I love who aren't on Instagram. And by the time I'd finished my rant, I was like, I think I'm going to delete my profile. And he goes, I just deleted mine. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I deactivated my account and I haven't been on since. And I, but for me, that was, you know, and so then when I had a kid, like no one knew it was so funny. Like no one knew I was pregnant because I wasn't on radio. And then I just like, I have a three and a half year old. Yeah, I know. I'm like, what the fuck? Our kids could play together. I mean, yeah, mine, could be mine is like a, an Insta star and yours is like who? <laughs> Under the radar, mate. Under the radar. But that's just my that's my personal choice because no judgment to any mums who are vocal about their kids. Like, I get it. Like, But I just, for me, social media is just not something. I mean, maybe, look, maybe there'll be a time and a place where I jump back on, but I just don't. You know, and I remember someone said to me a little while ago, they were like, think of all of the opportunities that you're missing out on. I'm like, a meal kit delivery service. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, what opportunities? These conversations that I'm having that are hopefully inspiring and changing lives, that's priceless. And I don't need an Instagram account to do that. So. No, I love it. I think it's so beautiful and powerful. And especially as a woman in media today, you're doing it differently. And that's what I fucking love. And that's why I'm like, just so grateful that I'm on this podcast. But can you just validate me before we go? Was it okay? Oh my God, you're amazing. (laughs) Okay, great. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at lastdrinkspod.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.